Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to this very special episode of Caged In. This is, of course, the first in four spectacular Cageuary Nicholas Cage birthday specials where I'm looking back at some of Nicholas Cage's unforgotten gems or classics from his previous years with some, uh, yeah, some return guests and give these films the, the real treatment that they deserve as a lot of them, uh, was when I was podcasting alone. We get into that on today's uh, conversation. So, yeah, there's. Uh, I, I feel like some of these films needed revisiting, and the first of those is Red Rock West. And the guest joining me is the fantastic and lovely Nick Helm, who you may remember if you're a long-time listener of this podcast. He joined me for uh, A Colour Out of Space just last year, so it was an absolute honour to have Nick back on the podcast to talk about this underrated Nicolas Cage gem. If you haven't seen it, uh, yeah, good luck trying to find it. I had to sign up and, uh, yeah, get involved and buy a copy on Chile, if you know what that is. I think it's a lot easier to find in the US, so any US listeners, yeah, great. Great for you. Any UK listeners, you're going to have to buy it in, in standard definition, not even high def either. Uh, as we get into in this conversation, this is screaming out for a kind of um, brand spanking Blu-ray or kind of just some kind of uh, British or UK kind of physical distribution or even even a digital digital distribution because it is fantastic. Well, yeah, before we go anywhere, I guess we have to say happy birthday to Nicolas Cage, right? It is his 58th birthday as we speak now the 7th of january so join me as we sing happy birthday to nicholas cage happy birthday to you happy birthday to you happy birthday to nicholas Happy birthday to you.
Today, we're revisiting a little talked about Nicolas Cage film, the neo-noir Red Rock West, directed by John Dahl and written by John and his brother Rick, starring our boy Nicolas Cage, Dennis Hopper, Lara Flynn Boyle, and J.T. Walsh. The hired gun joining me to travel back to Red Rock West is not Lyle from Texas, but comedian, writer, actor, musician, and podcaster, Nick Helm from London. How are you, Nick? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yes, so I, I, I'm good. I'm excited to be talking about this film. I feel like, uh, as I said in that intro, it's not it's not often talked about, and it's a it's an overlooked Nicolas Cage gem. And you're revisiting this, aren't you? Yeah. So I I I I did this in my initial run of um like when I cut co- yeah when I when I covered all of his films when I was very much fresh under the gills. I was I had no idea what I was doing in podcasting. I kind of wasn't the Nicolas Cage fan that I am today. I was kind of very much agnostic. I was, I was finding that love for Nicolas Cage at that point. And now I'm kind of, I've drunk the Kool-Aid and I'm very much in, in, yeah, in the Jones town <laughs> of Nicolas Cage's camp. <laughs> of Nicolas Cage's massacre. Yeah. Sure. Um, it's uh Metro West. I mean, it came out in 92. It's got a weird one because, like, I think it came out in '92 in the UK, and it's listed on IMDb as coming out in '93. Um, I think because it got it got a, like a delayed release. I think what happened was it must have played Khan or something like that, and got sold to Europe first before it got a uh, a US release, which is quite quite a fascinating way about doing things, and kind of became like a sleeper hit. Yeah. I think like in the art house cinemas and stuff like that and kind of very much had a burgeoning uh popularity on home release like vhs and well it's impossible to find on dvd i nearly bought a laser disc of it recently just because (laughs) just because i was like that'd be quite cool to own even though i don't have i don't have a laser disc player i was like that would that that, like it's like a tenner on ebay i was like well that's cheaper than it is for the dvd which is like 15 quid or something like that yeah um so so it, it's a it's a it's like an old school um it's almost hitchcockian it's like an old school thriller that came out and it feels it's it's, it's it comes out in a really weird time for films because it's uh early 90s it's just the 80s it doesn't feel like an 80s film at all it feels very much like a 90s movie except for the fact that maybe the next year Reservoir Dogs came out and then it changed (laughs) what thrillers were in the 90s completely so it's kind of like this really rare they didn't they just didn't make films like that after Reservoir Dogs came out really it was all sort of like Tarantino inspired and it's um, and it's sort of a, it's sort of a shame, I think. And this might be controversial, but I think this is um, uh, one. I think this might be one of Nicolas Cage's best films. Yeah, that he's ever made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll get if into not, that. I thought I sort of backed out of saying it is his best because I do like The Rock, and I have <laughs> just rewatched Face Off, and I love Con Air, but. They're not real films. Uh, this is like a proper, it's like a proper grown up film 
mm-hmm. and it's got like four four incredible performances in it and I haven't seen it for 20 years um, and I think I've got it back at my parents' house on VHS, maybe. But I remember really loving it and it really hit a note with me to the point that I've written um, the pilot for a sitcom that's based on Red Rock West. Amazing. Um, so it's not it's not like based on Red Rock. It's a difficult, it's a fucking difficult title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's difficult. Red Rock West. It's not based on Red Rock West, but it's all it's sort of like um when you're trying to describe it, you just say it's like a funny version of Red Rock West. And no one's ever heard of it. And it's really weird because I feel like this film was huge in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh and I feel like it was a really important film. So it's sort of like it still it still sort of like appears in work that I do because it was such like a formative film when I was like a teenager growing up. But um yeah, I literally never hear anyone talk about it. Whenever I mention it, I have to explain to people what it is. And um and it was yeah, I think it's an amazing film. It's it's really weird because it feels like the type of thing that someone like Arrow would like put out now. Do you know what I mean? Because it kind of it, it it feels like the audience isn't there for it because it's just so hard to get a hold of. Like I had to sign up to yeah. uh, Chile, which is like I'd never heard of it really. I'd no idea what it was before I went on like Just Watch or something like that. Like where the fuck can I watch this legally? Basically, and it's like nigh on yeah. impossible. Everywhere sells region one DVDs of it. It's just, uh, yeah, it's just an absolute, I don't know, forgotten gem. Well, you said it might be Nicolas Cage's best. And that leads me to uh, one of my questions I wanted to ask you, which is, which is the which is the objectively best Nicolas Cage film? Not necessarily your favourite, but like you can say, like, that is the best film Nicolas Cage is in. Well, I think, I think that's difficult. That's difficult because it depends what you're looking for in Nicolas Cage and, and, and it's got like a connotation to it for a Nicolas Cage film mm-hmm. that um, I think that this is kind of... Red Rock West is one of the films where it's like... <sighs> this, was such a, this, was su- this is such a good film and it was, <laughs> it was after like Raising Arizona and Moonstruck and... Peggy Sue got married and it was after it was after like his uh 80s sort of like romantic comedy type stuff. Mm-hmm. It was early 90s, so it was what around Trapped in Paradise and It Could Happen to You. It was before his Oscar. It was kind of like he was making these thrillers, but he wasn't like um and he wasn't being used for kind of like uh your comedic main guy. Mm-hmm. you know your comedic lead in like an action movie like the rock and conair and uh and, and face off and national treasure so so he's not kind of like a caricature of himself mm-hmm. um and this is like the nicholas cage that is in my head and this is i think this film and this performance of Nick, that nicholas cage puts in is kind of like a real like I guess in hindsight it's an anomaly because it's not over the top 
It's really well measured. It's it's just a really great performance. Um, he's opposite Dennis Hopper, and Dennis Ho- and I noticed this when I was watching. I watched an absolutely <laughs> terrible quality. Uh, so I watched it on YouTube. And there's two versions of it on YouTube. There's one version of it that's an hour and a half on YouTube, which is dubbed in Russian. So I started watching that and I couldn't watch that. And then the other one is an hour and 15 minutes on YouTube. Um, and it's most of the screen is cropped. So you, you don't even get the credits in, in, entirely in shot. And um, every like 10 minutes or so, they do uh, time speed one and a half instead of normal to speed it up. But you get the entire <laughs> film, but it's, it was just, it's like, it was like, what it was like was it was, and it's all sort of like blurred around the side, mm-hmm. right? Like around the edges, like it's gone through a filter. And the best way I can describe it is watching the hour and 15 minute version on YouTube is sort of like, drilling a hole in the back of your head and peering into the back of your head and remembering the movie that you saw yeah. 20 years ago. And it's kind of like, so I haven't seen it in 20 years and, and, and I've only watched it, this terrible version of it, uh, so that I can talk to you about it today. Um, and, I, and it sort of like brought everything flooding back. I think, I, think, I think just as a film, where Nicolas Cage is an actor in it and he's the lead and and uh, before things got silly mm-hmm. uh, and um, and just in this really sort of like nice period of his career when he was starting to be taken serious for like lead lead roles, I think this might be his best. I think this might be his best. I I probably enjoy. No, I think that it's a really fun. F- I was going to say I probably enjoy something like Con Air more, but it's. I mean. This this film is an hour and a half. It's really tight. I would say it's probably top heavy in terms of the opening hour is better than the last half hour mm-hmm. where it kind of like goes through kind of like the motions. But there are so many twists in the beginning of the film and so many sort of like uh, repeat images that they use of him coming in and out of Red Rock and... Just it just unfolds at such a satisfying pace yeah, where yeah. every ten minutes you're dripped a new twist, um, and it's not like it, he's perfectly used in the film, and with Dennis Dennis Hopper in it as well, it's kind of like they both bring a sense of humour to their parts without kind of like winking at the audience. So it's just this really tight, brilliant thriller. That really like it's an hour and a half. It's got four characters in it, and it's just brilliant. I think it's brilliant, and 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 it's as good as I remembered it being, uh, even though I watched it on a terrible YouTube copy. Yeah, I, I I've seen that YouTube copy you're talking about, and it 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 looks like when the characters go inside John Malkovich's head, and they're looking at right, yeah. John Malkovich, and kind of that distorted like edges, and yeah, I, the only way I can describe it is like somebody has camcorded a vhs off the telly and kind of like it's yeah, got that the sound yeah. <laughs> the sound is really echoey as well it's yeah it's like that it's like someone's filmed like in a cinema and they haven't got the entire screen in shot it's like it's a crazy way to watch it <laughs> um but uh, but so 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 it really only worked as like a memory trigger but um yeah, I think it's I think it's just 
I think it's I think it's so good. Yeah. I mean, it stuck with me my whole life, and I think it's I think it's yeah, I just think it's great. Before we, uh, it's weird. It's weird that it's not available. Yeah, yeah, that is. I think that is the most perplexing thing about it. I'm not sure whether, like, I don't know, when John Dahl got like uh, relegated to just being a TV director, that they went, your previous films are going to be nigh on impossible for people to to track down and watch. John, like, you're in. I don't know. You're in director purgatory. Like, just directing TV shows now. Um, so where what like. So this might be your favourite, and yeah, one of the, another question I wanted to ask you, Nick, was which is the worst Nick Cage film you've ever seen? I mean, there's a lot of them, <laughs> but, but there are a lot of them. That, um, there are some that are like um, so bad they're good. Like I think Season of the Witch is just really entertaining. I think we probably talked about this last time. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really entertaining. Um, uh, I thought Willy's Wonderland, uh, that was very disappointing. I think that might be one of his worst mm-hmm. because it was so stilted and drawn out and it felt like, you know, his character didn't speak, but it felt like they were just, it, it didn't feel like natural. It felt like it was this thing that they were stuck with, that he wasn't allowed to talk because he should have been able to talk at any point. It didn't make sense that for a man that could talk, that he wasn't talking throughout the entire film, other than the fact that it was a gimmick. Um, I think Willy's Wonderland is, is and it's, and it's, and it's annoying and it's quite, I can understand why he chose to do that. I can understand why he chose to do it, but I just think that the, the overall finish to the film, uh, I think he was let down. Yeah, I, I, um, and I think he deserved better. I think that film would have worked a lot better and kind of... One, it's that thing, it, it feels like the it's being made to be a cult film. And I always feel like that is like dangerous territory when you're going like, when you're kind of knowingly going, oh, we're making a, we're making a midnight movie here. It's like that that stuff should come yeah. naturally. You should make a like a film that happens to be schlocky. Do you know what I mean? Like like Evil Dead, for instance. It's like Sam yeah. Raimi was trying to make the best film he could possibly, and it just happened to find this audience at kind of like of of horror weirdos and kind of yeah, people watching it at midnight screenings and stuff like that. Whereas that was like yeah. the intention from the get go was oh we're like it was winks all over the place of like going we know what we're making like and it's like it doesn't it doesn't work like that necessarily and i think cage no. cage had a massive disservice like in the fact that the cast around him obviously there's like i think beth grant is fine in it but like a lot of like the kind of i don't know like the people who speak the most is that kind of gaggle of teenagers that are just cannon fodder and it's like they're not great they're, they they really let the film down yeah, but the structure of the film is bad. The script mm. of the film is bad. Um, the art department is good. I think all the logos that they did and the characters that they created are good. But um, the pacing is terrible. The editing is terrible. The acting is terrible. The casting is terrible. I think the set is rubbish. It's like, you know, it's basically they've tried to make a, 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 an action thriller, movie, horror uh, splatterfest mm-hmm. in one room and <laughs> it's kind of like 
it, there's kind of like a couple, there's a corridor and a couple of rooms that lay, that, that lead off, but basically they, it's, it's, and it's kind of like, um, they didn't use their shortcomings to their advantage. And so you're kind of watching it going, why does it look so cheap? And, um, and I think it might have worked better as a Bruce Campbell project rather than an cage one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I just, I, I, th- I think that, I think you're right. It, it's not, whereas when you look at something like Mandy um, or Colour Out of Space, where he's kind of like um, doing smaller budgeted movies, but they've got a real vision behind them. Mm-hmm. I think that he really, he really kind of like excels in that stuff. I watched a, I watched a YouTube documentary thing, or I started watching it. It's three hours long. It's about uh, Nicolas Cage being a meme, mm-hmm. and um, and the fact that Nicolas Cage is aware of how people see him. He he must be. He must and be right. He's that, he's got a film coming out in April yeah. that is. The the uh the unbearable weight of massive talent where he's playing himself like he's got to be aware yeah. of this kind of this subculture or kind of the way he is seen in the kind of public sphere. Well, he is aware of it, and I think he's a bit sad about it. And 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 the thing is, it was like saying that he had two choices. He had the one choice, or he's a bit bemused by it. He doesn't really understand. He doesn't really want to know about it. But somebody. Um, uh, in the early 2010s, put together like a supercut, which is the thing that went viral of every time he loses his shit, and it's called Nicolas Cage losing his shit. Um, and it's like a supercut of every time he sort of overacts in all of his films, and it's permeated uh, the the movie watching public. And now it's sort of tainted how people see Nicolas Cage, and he's aware of it. And it's kind of like saying that he had two choices: one of of them was to pretend that you know uh, he doesn't overact and uh, and to and to act like um, um, it doesn't bother him mm-hmm. and that he's a serious actor. And the other option was to just lean into it and just be kind of like, yeah, I do crazy stuff. Um, and his explanation for kind of like making so many films was just that uh, when he was growing up, he used to watch lots of Columbo. <laughs> and well, this is one of the examples he used. And Peter Falk was always on TV, and he grew. He 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 had a relationship with uh, Peter Falk and Columbo because he watched him every week. And his thing is that he'll just keep working and making stuff because you'll never be short of material. You'll always be kind of like, well, what's Nicolas Cage made this week? And there'll be a thing that he's done, and it'll yeah. come out. And so he's sort of like. I saw Pig recently. I thought that that was kind of like that again. They were kind of like I felt like I I enjoyed it. I thought I thought it was very slow. I think that it felt a bit like a bit like what they were trying to do with um, it's a bit like stunt casting where you go. Nicholas Cage has made a film where he wants to, to get revenge for his pig. Mm-hmm. And so you go, well, I've got to see that. And then when you watch it, it's not that film. It's not the film you think it's going to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, uh, and I think it was sort of like it. It's sort of he's not. He's painted himself into a bit of a corner now, where he can't make kind of like 
we can make films like Pig, but you've got to just wade through all the bullshit of, oh, it's Nicolas Cage making a film about a pig yeah. in order to get to the fact that he's made a film. And it's kind of like you have to watch it and then reevaluate it as opposed, you know, compared to what you thought it was going to be going in. Well, that, you know? that's a you really, go in with yeah. preconceived ideas. That, that, that's a really interesting thing where, like, the kind of public image of uh, Nicolas Cage kind of did that film slight dirty because it is that thing like if you kind of look at it objectively outside of all of that stuff like my personal opinion is like it's a it's it's a beautiful film about like kind of grief and loss and like but it's got that thing if you kind of get that elevator pitch of like you said it's Nicolas Cage looking for revenge on his pig you think like as, as as people said when it first got announced it was like um like bacon or do you know what I mean it's John Wick with a pig like they kind of had had all these ideas of what it was going to be but then it was something completely different like I I say like it's it's more akin to Ratatouille than it is to John Wick in the fact that like the kind right, of right. the 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 denouement is like him cooking a meal for someone and them kind of having this like sensory memory experience of that beautiful meal they had with their loved one like back in the day but but on on the kind of converse side to that like Cage feels like the perfect person to kind of play that role in a film it's like uh, it's just it is that thing about like the kind of that slug line of what the film would be about that kind of I don't know people go in expecting something different because I imagine he is an actor who kind of has been somewhat in the wilderness because if you kind of look at his career post 2010 like there is this straight to vod straight to dvd like wilderness of his career and then like so he probably understands that idea of robin feld being like i used to be like back in the 90s my name actually meant something like whereas now Mm. my, my my name is a punchline to a joke or like people have like kind of somewhat think my career is dead so like it's like that it falls into stunt casting but like i think it is it is it is kind of it, it yeah. works on that meta textual level and i think that um uh i think that the fact that the fact that on paper it feels like it's going to be oh this is the classic nicholas cage film i don't know how many classic nicholas cage films there really are mm-hmm. in terms of that's the film where even something like Mandy is kind of like, he's a lot more restrained in Mandy than I thought he was. He goes off the handle, but like that film has a real slow burn to it. Yeah. And it's not all kind of like, it's not all like fucking Ghost Rider 2. Do you know what I mean? It's <laughs> yeah. all like, it's, it's, it, there's a slow burn to Mandy. And um, uh, yeah. And so when you look at something like Willy's Wonderland, which is like going, don't worry guys, we've done it. We've made the ultimate Nicolas Cage film. You watch it and you go, well, you haven't. It's so far short of that. Um, it's kind of, and like you say, you can't deliberately make that sort of thing. All of those clips from those Nicolas Cage uh, movies where he's sort of like, you know, losing his shit, they're from actual genuine movies mm-hmm. that have allowed him some sort of um, uh, artistic freedom within that, you know, and they've gone, 
this is the scene where Nicolas Cage, you know, he's got this scene. He's, you know, and he'll lose his shit and he'll do a thing. And it's like, great. But it's in the context of the film. It's not the fact that Nicolas Cage is just an actor and you can't control him. You, you, you book him for a job and he turns up and he fucking, he destroys, the, he destroys the craft table and then he just does whatever he likes in front of a camera. It doesn't work like that. He's sort of like, he's, like, even when you look at, I tell you what, one of the other brilliant films is um, Bad Lieutenant, mm-hmm. where it's a fucking weird, incredible Nicolas Cage performance, but he's created a character. Yeah. You know, it's not like Nicolas Cage has just walked in off the street and he fucks around for an hour and a half. So he's created a character. And when you look at something like Willy's Wonderland, it's like there is nothing other than the fact that you want Nicolas Cage to fuck around. Mm-hmm. And there's, no, there's nothing beyond that. And um, and it doesn't work. Yeah, I know with that film that he very much said he did it like, and he stipulated that he didn't speak. Just, but I think it's just because he wanted, he kind of wanted to tick that off his list of being in like do it. I just want to do a film where I don't speak. That's it. Boom, done. Like, which is like, because what's the ghost? The ghost one that he's done recently. The ghosts, the prisoners of the ghost land. Yes. Prisoners of the Ghostland, yeah, the 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 Sion Sono film, which I guess the best way to describe it is it's not not enough of a Nicolas Cage film, or well, yeah, and but it's not it's I don't know it will put off Nicolas Cage fans because it's not as like losing his shitty as they expect, and it's not as it's not as Sion Sono as Sion Sono gets the the Japanese director who like has this mate like kind of i don't know kind of rivals to cache mike for being like out there and fucking doing right. this like weird shit yeah it, i mean i think it's an improvement from willie's wonderland but this, but but uh, he barely speaks for the first quarter of that if i it felt like um did you ever see that um melanie griffith's film cherry 2000 no <laughs> it felt like that it's like this post-apocalyptic film where Melanie Griffith drives a car. It's great. Um, <laughs> it's not, not great. I've got bit, I, I, I need to rewatch it. I've got, I've got very foggy memories. <laughs> it felt like that. I, I think Willy's Wonderland is so poor that it wouldn't surprise me if he demanded that he didn't have any lines so that he wouldn't have to learn it. Fair. And that <laughs> it was a massive favour. And it was just like, I'm not going to put any more time into this than I need. And it's going to be a silent performance. <laughs> because there are parts in it, there are parts in it where you go, it would really help if you just told them what was going on. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It feels, it feels like this albatross where they've made a decision that he's not going to speak. And then the film that they've made doesn't lend itself to having a mute character. It's kind of like, you know... Um, you want to have it's sort of like trying to be like an Evil Dead type film. So you want to have that Bruce Campbell character that's got, you know, it's a film that's basically calling out for like one-liners mm-hmm. and inventive death scenes and then funny one-liners to come after. Do you know what I mean? And it's kind of like it doesn't have that. Anyway, we're not talking about that film. We're talking about <laughs> Red Rock West. So before we get onto Red Rock West, I just wanted to ask you another couple of uh yeah silly questions uh, the first one being which living or dead director would you most want to see nicholas cage work with obviously 
dead is a total work of fantasy. But where 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 do you think Nicolas Cage would? Which director would he fit with? Would he would he make uh, absolute gold? Um. Well, he did. He did do a Brian De Palma film, didn't he? Snake Eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which wasn't, which wasn't the best. Um, Living or Dead. I don't know. Like Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> I'm just looking around. I mean, Alfred Hitchcock. Would that be good? It's your pick. Nick. I think Alfred Hitchcock nailed it. I think he nailed it without it. I don't think I don't think Nicolas Cage would have added anything to it. Maybe like Dario Argento. Oh. If you yeah, had yeah, Nicolas yeah. Cage in kind of like a Dario Argento film, maybe that would be that, that, yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of good. It kind of feels like but I he, think what Nick Go on. I was gonna say I feel it feels like Nick Nick Cage could go the way of Udo Kia of just like they kind of have a similar thing of just popping up in anything. So if like Nicolas Cage popped up in something like Suspiria just for that one scene to be like, oh, some weird shit's going on. Like, yeah, I'd, I'd love it. Or, um, or maybe like a Quentin Tarantino. Mm-hmm. Someone that someone that would take his... I think the problem with the films that get attention, like he makes, what, three films a year? The problem with the ones like Willy's Wonderland that get attention is the fact that they're trying to give us stuff that we've seen before. Mm-hmm. And I think that where he really excels is where he brings something that is just odd to something. Like Con Air. It's kind of like Con Air is a setup for a Bruce Willis-style action hero. It's Die Hard on a Plane. That's all he needs to do. Yeah. And he's brought along this huge accent and this <laughs> amazing haircut. And do you know what I mean? He's gone above and beyond with yeah. it. And the reason that Con Air is so good is because he's elevated an already great film. I think that, and I mean it, I think Con Air is great. It's like a really good action comedy. It works really well. And Nicolas Cage's performance in it is just really kind of like, what made you think of that on the first day? And how did people react when, you know, and action? And then Nicolas Cage does that. And then it's like, oh, fuck. Are we (laughs) fucked? Or is this going to be all right? It must have had conversations about it. Um, And and so it's kind of like, I think that... if you had someone like Quentin Tarantino, that or who was the guy that directed Dragged Across Concrete and uh, Brawl on Cell Block 99? Craig S. Zala, I think it or S. Craig right. Zala. Yeah. Craig, yeah, him, right? It, mm-hmm. Like, he would be good. I think what he really needs is someone to come along and give him the opportunity, not like a reinvention, but like... He doesn't need to reinvent his career, but he needs someone to sort of like give him, give him the opportunity to do something that's kind of um, like a straightforward film where he gets to sort of play along. What was that Joel Schumacher, Schumacher film, Trespass, was it called? Trespass, or yeah, he did 8mm with Joel Schumacher as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but Trespass was the other one, right? Yeah. 
And that felt like, that was with Nicole Kidman, right? Mm -hmm. And that felt like he sort of, that was kind of like a generic film where he kind of like didn't really do much with it. And he kind of like turned up and he played it really straight. And I think, I think that what you want is you want kind of like a, a, a fairly kind of like straightforward film that he can come in and do something interesting with. Mm -hmm. And he's been given that opportunity in the past and he's sort of like not done it. I think it's going to be interesting where his career is going to go because I know like he's he signed on to like a, a, a Western, like his first ever Western that should like has, has just stopped filming. And he's going to play... Uh, Count Dracula in Renfield, which is like, uh, I think, like, yeah, opposite uh, Nicholas Holt. So sounds like it'll be right. quite, quite a, quite an interesting. Like, it, it feels like his his career is going in. His star is rising slightly, in that like he's not sure. just relegated to the, working with a lot of these first time directors on these straight to like. VOD films and stuff like that. Yeah, and and it's kind of like even Willy's Wonderland, Pig, Ghosts of the uh, Prisoners of the Ghostland. You know, all of those films are kind of Nicolas Cage films, even though they're very different from each other. I think it would be good for him to sort of like get out of making Nicolas Cage films. National Treasure, even though I'm not a massive fan of those films, he was sort of a um, a straight guy mm -hmm. just playing kind of like the all-American lead and he did some stuff that was interesting with that same with Ghost Rider where he's got to play a superhero I think we were sort of in hindsight I think we were denied Nicolas Cage an amazing Nicolas Cage as Superman performance oh, of, you know yeah yeah it would have been it would have been phenomenal and, and that's what I mean it's kind of like Superman isn't like a wacky Nicolas Cage character, it's Superman. Mm -hmm. So to see Nicolas Cage in that role, what he would do with it, you know, there was the thing where uh, Ghost Rider, he was like saying that he's a massive Elvis fan. He loves Ghost Rider and Elvis. So he's going to play Ghost Rider like he's Elvis. Uh, and he's going to eat jelly beans. And it's kind of <laughs> like, these are two choices that he made and they're in the film. And they make the film stand out. And it's kind of like, great. Um, and so sort of, I, I, guess that's what, I guess that's what people don't get about Nicolas Cage. And why I'd say 90% of those films that he's making, of the films that he's making now, don't really work. Like, the reason I like Season of the Witch isn't because it's this crazy Nicolas Cage film. It's because it's this film that is kind of like, it only got made because Nicolas Cage signed on to it. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, like, it, it was this script that was doing the rounds and nobody wanted to make it. And then Nicolas Cage signed on and then Ron, Ron Perlman did. And then it got made. And it's kind of like, it's not that it was written as this crazy Nicolas Cage film, but it's this already quite odd film which is elevated because he's in it mm -hmm. rather than having a shit film that is just kind of like if we put Nicolas Cage in it then we can get it made yeah we can get some bums on seats definitely um so seeing as well yeah this episode is being released for celebrating Nicolas Cage's birthday I just wanted to to ask you uh what would you buy Nicolas Cage for his birthday he's a man who has owned weird and wonderful things but what what do you think he's missing Nick? 
provide Nicolas Cage for his birthday. Oh. Oh. Ooh. That's a ridiculous question. That's an... Um... <laughs> oh. <laughs> somebody, somebody gave me a badge once. Uh, somebody gave me a gift, which was a little badge, and it said, uh, "You are enough." <laughs> oh, perfect! And, uh, <laughs> and I burst into tears. <laughs> um, I think, I think again, I think that the problem is that you try and buy him like a snake, or try and buy him. Uh, uh, like a tattoo or something crazy, and it's like you can't really do that, and you just need to maybe ground him mm-hmm. and let him know that he's doing all right. Yeah, you are enough. That's perfect. That's. A, I think that would break him as well. I feel like that is the kind of thing that would would break Nicholas down uh, to his core. I reckon. <laughs> really, really, uh, really feel it. So, let's talk about Red Rock. Let's really get into it. And I always like to ask my guest Nick to provide. A synopsis of the film what 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 is this film about um it's it's difficult without giving it away isn't it? it's um spoil it spoil it away spoil uh, it away yeah 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 spoil. but do you want like a one line synopsis or do you want like a plot breakdown or what let's have let's have a little Let's have a couple of line synopsis and then we can really open it out and have a nice little chat about the film and our favourite scenes and stuff like that. It's basically, it's a Western film noir hybrid where um, there are dirty deeds being done, backstabbing uh, and uh, uh, people trying to get other people killed and there's a guy, a drifter, looking for work that rolls into town, and you know he's a good man. That's the stuff that really sticks with me. It's the bit at the beginning when he's like waking up in the car. He goes into the gas station. He sees the money, he, and he always sort of like he, he like he scratches the side of his mouth. And we know as an audience, he's really thinking about whether he should take the money or not. And he knows that he shouldn't, and he doesn't. And he walks away from it, and that has stuck with me for fucking twenty years, half my life. Mm. Um, and it's about like this drifter that comes into town and gets himself like it's about a guy that drifts into town, a drifter that drifts into town, uh, the town of Red Rock, and through various circumstances, he can't leave. Mm-hmm. He tries to get out of there, and he just gets sort of like embroiled in these sort of deceptive, evil people, and uh, and it's about his kind of like. Um, uh, is, is trials and tribulations trying to get out of Red Rock, yeah, and to get some um, and to get some money to make some money. Uh, that's what it is in short, isn't it? Yeah. What I love about that opening shot of it is we get like Chekhov's knee brace. Is we get like Nick like getting out of the car. One of the first things you see is him like adjusting his knee brace, and I think like. That opening looks like a kind of '90s Levi's ad or something, doesn't it? He's kind of like he's got the Texas yeah, right. tuxedo on. He's like proper, like done to the nines. He's looking sexy. Like I, f- I think this is one of the sexiest that Nicolas Cage has, has looked. Especially he's with great. Like, I, he's 
it's like leading man. It's mm -hmm. leading man stuff. It's kind of, and I guess when I first saw it, I hadn't seen that many Nicolas Cage films. It was like bang in the 90s. I think it was probably before The Rock. It was probably, um, you know, before he reinvented himself. Mm -hmm. And when he did reinvent himself, I thought, well, that's such an odd choice because he's already kind of like this amazing actor. It's almost like when he did The Rock and he blew up and he became super huge, it was like, was was the stuff that he was making before that not good enough? Because it felt like he was making the best films that were ever made. <laughs> and then he kind of like went up a notch and started making films that were sort of like Face Off and The Rock. Yeah, he's great in them, but they are sort of beneath his talent because he was making stuff like Red Rock West, <laughs> which is this fucking incredible film. You know, if if I was able to make a film, you know, I would try and make a film like Red Rock West uh, rather than a film like National Treasure, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, 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 and yeah, he looks, he looks great in this film. Um, is the music by Ry Cooder? No, the music is by William Olvis. So like, but it's, it's amazing, amazing kind of like, uh, almost like, I don't know, like spaghetti Western-esque score. It's kind of got this like, morricone like yeah. tones to it and i think that really i thought it, i i couldn't see any of the credits at the beginning of the film <laughs> because of youtube and so i assumed it was raikuda and i think i've always loved it's sort of like it's a similar score to what they use in broken arrow which mm -hmm. i think was raikuda uh which was john travolta like a, a few years later um yeah it's this really kind of like cool jangly guitar western uh, music right so to kind of expand on how you set up the film like we get that moment when he goes into the bar in red rock thinks he's going to be like a barman or whatever because obviously he, he he goes for a job at a, like a building site and gets turned away because of his bum knee they really they're really setting that up for us as well aren't they they're really going this guy his knee is fucked if you if you thought he was just messing about with a leg brace like He's got he's got a past. He was in was he in Le Lebanon or something like that. I think it gets it gets talked about. He's a marine. On. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then J T. Walsh, who I think in this film is like fucking phenomenal as this kind of like sinister bar owner who's also the sheriff of of Red Rock. Um, mistakes him from being Lyle from Texas, which. I love a film that kind of, I, I love this premise for this film that it kind of like, it is just a thing of like mistaken identity. It is this thing of just like a man who is kind of backed into a corner, whether like life has kind of broken him down to the point where he's like, he's not got a pot to piss in. He's kind of got $5 of gas in his, in his tank. And he's kind of like, I don't know, kind of uses Yeah. He's like, he's like a kind of rat in the corner but uses that to his advantage and kind of comes up with this ingenious plan to to take the five grand off of J.T. Walsh's character and also take another five grand off of Lara Flynn Boyle's character, Susan, to kind of do a hit on, on either of them, right? That's the kind of setup for this film. Yeah, but also so much happens before he even gets to J.T. Walsh. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, so um, 
he puts the leg brace on. Uh, he goes to get petrol. And you learn so much about him that he's got five, $5 in his wallet. And he has the opportunity to steal like $100 or $20 even. I don't think it's that much. And he doesn't. And then the guy comes out. And he says, what can I do? And he says, I want $5 worth of petrol because that's all he can afford. And, you know, and then he goes to this, um, to Red Rock, he goes to the bar, the barman is there. Um, the barman sees that he's got Texas plates and thinks that he's someone else. And he says, if you come for the job, and Nicolas Cage isn't thinking, I'm going to kill a guy for money. He's just thinking, God, he thinks I'm someone else. And the other guy hasn't turned up. And we already know he's a good guy. Mm-hmm. And so he goes, yeah, I'll do something for the money. And uh, and he takes the job, and then he's got to kill Lara Flynn Boyle. And so then he goes off to Lara Flynn Boyle, and you don't know what he's going to do. And he tells her that your husband's going to kill you. And he thinks, right, I've done a good job here. And he leaves town, and then he writes, uh, does she pay him money at that yeah, point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She... And then he leaves town, and uh, he writes a letter to the sheriff, um, and uh, and then he hits a guy on his way out of town and then he has to come back to the hospital. And when he's at the hospital, he finds out that the guy's been shot, that he's run over. And then the sheriff turns up. And the sheriff is J.T. Walsh. And it's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> it just like builds, builds and builds and builds. And then it's, it, um, yeah, and it, it's like that for like, a, for like 45 minutes, an hour, where... He's just getting deeper and deeper in shit, and he just can't get out of there. I also really love that the bit when he goes to the petrol station. It's kind of like the ultimate road movie where he has dinner at a petrol station, where he basically the first money he makes, he buys like groceries and jerky and yeah, uh, uh, and <laughs> there's a bit when he, when he pays with however much he's got. And the guy goes, haven't you got anything smaller? And he goes, not today. <laughs> and, you know, it's just a really kind of, it's a really grounded, it's a really grounded performance. There's a bit like when he's sort of like freaking out. What, what's really good, if you're going to talk about the Nicolas Cage, like um, losing his shit stuff, what's really good is when he does lose his shit, he does it when he's on his own. Mm-hmm. So he, Keeps his shit together when he's with when he's in front of other people, and then the minute he's like in his car, or he goes into the bathroom, he'll like smash a light, or he'll punch the roof of his car, and he and he's like freaking out, going like, I I can't handle this situation yeah, yeah, yeah. now, I'm absolutely fucked. Um, I just think he's just great. He's, yeah, he's just great. Yeah, that 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 is the thing. Is a uh, expression I use on this podcast quite a lot. It's like the earned freakouts. It's like. That's what any sane person would do in that scenario, right? You've kind of, you've driven from Texas to Wyoming because your friend has said, there's a job here. You're definitely going to get it. You're, you're fucked. you got $5 to your name. Of course you're going to beat up your car a bit. You're going to be like, fuck's sake. Do you know what I mean? I thought I, thought, I thought I was on the yellow brick road and it turns out I'm not. Like, it's, it's, it's all turned to shit. And then like... Yeah, you believe like you believe it, and like all the times he kind of freaks out in this. Like, uh, well, here's one of them when he brings that brings that man he's run over into the hospital. Get a doctor. What happened? Somebody get a fucking doctor. Wait here, sir. He's like, he's rightfully pissed off. Like as you said, he's he's set up as a good guy, and it is that thing of like, he, all he wants to do is get out of dodge, 
and get the fuck away from there. And it's just like, how can a bad day go to worse? Do you know what I mean? He's kind of been been embroiled in this situation where, uh, yeah, the sheriff essentially wants him to murder his wife and then finds a, finds a way out of it, so he thinks, and then is drawn back to this place. And it's, I don't know, it's just, I, I, I think it's great. It reminds me slightly, and I guess... I don't know if it would have been an inspiration on it, but like Breaking Bad in a way, like those episodes where you would kind of watch it and go yeah. like, how the fuck are they going to get out of this one? Do you know what I mean? Like proper like, I don't know, like yeah. episode that comes to mind is like Walter White and Jesse inside the camper van at one point. And I think like uh, Hank and like other um, DEA agents outside. And it's like, you're proper like, squeaky bum time watching it going like i i I logically cannot fathom away how you were going to get out of this situation whether it's like in the bar with dennis hopper's character or like in the car with jt walsh when like he confronts him when like it's kind of revealed that he is the sheriff it's yeah it's it's fucking great in that regard but it but you know, in terms of movie making and it being a movie, it's like it's like a perfect movie. It's like a ninety-minute mm-hmm. movie that just takes you on this great kind of like um, adventure kind of thing, and um, and it's got good guys and bad guys, um, and it's just really tight. Mm-hmm. And and I just assumed when I saw it. That when people talk about Nicolas Cage, this has got to be kind of like at the top of the list. If anyone is having a conversation about Nicolas Cage, they must have seen at least this film. Yeah. You know, for, for my money, it's one of his best films, if not his best film in terms of, it's before he got all razzle dazzle. It was after he'd kind of like earned his place as a leading man. And he's made this really kind of like tight, gripping, fun. It's really fun <laughs> thriller. Uh, and no one's heard of it. No one can pronounce it. It's, uh, and, and it's kind of like, and you can't get it anywhere. Yeah. And so it's sort of like, if you're going to have a conversation about Nicolas Cage, you have to have... My friend Rebecca is like this huge Nicolas Cage fan. And um, and I said, oh, I'm watching Red Rock West for this podcast. And, um, and she said, well, what's that like? Is it good? Is it rubbish? And it's like, you're, you're a fan. <laughs> and you haven't seen, and you haven't seen Red Rock West. It's kind of like it, it, it was. It was weird because it was like that was maybe, maybe what's so disappointing or weird about Nicolas Cage is not like disappointing for him, but I think in the way that people have treated him and the way people expect him to do a certain thing in all of his films, is that maybe like my entry point for Nicolas Cage was Red Rock West. Mm-hmm. It was like mid to early nineties. Um, it would have been on Channel 4. Uh, I would have seen it before Quentin Tarantino or maybe around the same time as Quentin Tarantino, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. And um, uh, and it's kind of like, and this is the sort of film, because it's so good, this is the sort of film that Nicolas Cage makes. And then when you actually look at the film, it's kind of like, well, Dennis Hopper's really great in it. Uh, so you've got Dennis Hopper from Blue Velvet and Nicolas Cage from Wild at Heart. 
So you've got like this sort of uh, Lynch connection. And then Laurel um, Flynn Boyle where, from Twin Peaks as well. So you've got like a Laurel Flynn Boyle from Twin Peaks. Yeah, right. And um, But also you've got Laurel Flynn Boyle from, did she make Wayne's World the same year? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or yeah, was yeah. that like a year, a couple of years before? It's kind of like you've got Laurel Flynn Boyle from, from Wayne's World. And J.T. Walsh plays sort of like a similar character in a similar movie, Breakdown. Never seen it. Is that right? Uh, I can I can find I think out. JT, I think JT Walsh is in Breakdown, and it's kind of like a similar part. Um, Breakdowns. I I enjoy Breakdown. <laughs> Lots to like about Breakdown. It's got um, Kurt Russell in it. It's got Kathleen Quinlan. I'm pretty sure it's got JT Walsh in it. But it's not as good as Red Rock West. And more people have heard of Breakdown than Red Rock West. Yeah, it's. He is in Breakdown. Yes, he is. He plays uh, Jack. Uh, yeah. Uh, is he in Breakdown? Uh, it's just give. Yes, he is. 1997's Breakdown. He is in Breakdown. You're right on that. Um, well, you mentioned Dennis Hopper. Uh, before we kind of talk about his performance in this, I just wanted to play his introduction into this film, which I think is phenomenal. What the fuck are you doing? And my car broke down. Where? I don't see a car. It's just over that ridge. Over that ridge, huh? Yeah. Well, you're one lucky son of a bitch, aren't you? Huh? If I hadn't had my brakes just done, I'd be picking your brains out of my radiator. Fuck. Listen, I hate to ask you this, but do you think you could give me a ride? You aren't dangerous, are you? No. I just... I just need a ride. You can drive me off at the nearest gas station. Okay, cowboy, you got yourself a ride. Um, get in. So, that, like, that introduction to Dennis Hopper, especially, like, I remember the first time watching this, being like, how is he going to fit into, like, what at that point is a very it's quite a convoluted but simple plot do you know what i mean it's kind of all these wheels in motion and then it's like dennis hopper turns up. and i remember the moment when like they're in the bar and he turned like he says oh i'm lyle from texas and the kind of like look on cage's face is like do you know what i mean like fuck as it, again if if this day couldn't get any worse it's just got a whole lot worse because Dennis Hopper's a scary-looking guy, right? Yeah, but Dennis Hopper is really subtle. And, mm-hmm. like, Dennis Hopper's performance, especially from the early on, it's like a real roller coaster where you think, oh, my God, you know, just that bit where he hits him and he's like, well, where's the car? And then he goes, oh, it's over the thing. Oh, it's over there, is it? He's not going to believe him. Oh, he does believe him. Oh, do you know what I mean? It's kind of like, mm-hmm. um, there's a bit in, there's a bit when they park outside the bar and Nicholas Cage doesn't want to go in the bar. And he's just like, no, nah, I've got to go. And Dennis Hopper's kind of like being his mate and he's been all friendly and they're, they're both Marines. And he's like, going, oh, come on, come into the bar. And he goes, no, nah, I can't, I've got to go. And then he just, ch- he just turns and he goes, what's the matter? I'm not good enough to drink with. 
And then Nicholas Cage is like, no, 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 it's just that, you know, I've got something yeah. else to do. And then he comes back again and he's going, well, then what's your problem then? Come into the bar. And even though it's kind of like a, a fairly low-stake scene, uh, Dennis Hopper just makes it so tense. But but he also uh, maintains this sort of like, um, he's like this friendly character. And then occasionally, and it doesn't even feel like a mask. It feels like... Occasionally, the friendliness slips slightly, uh, but it feels like he's a fairly good-natured guy mm-hmm. who is also a killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, JT Walsh. JT Walsh is like the serious kind of like moody guy that's got involved in something that he doesn't really uh, know how to control, and he's sort of like a bit on edge and a bit tense. And Dennis Hopper is just so relaxed and friendly about everything <laughs> that he can be a killer, you know? Yeah, well, there, there, there's another there's another take on this film about the Dennis Hopper character, Lyle from Texas, right? There is a, there is a film in that of like this kind of hitman who turns up to a town and somebody has stolen his job. Do you know what I mean? Like, and it's kind of like you you can weirdly feel this like in a twisted logic, like an empathy for him. Do you know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, he in his mind, in the kind of like in black and white, he's just a man who has turned up somewhere to do his job and finds out that his job has been stolen. And it's got, <laughs> and there's a great humour to him as well. There's a phone call he has with JT Walsh that I'll just play now. Hello. Wayne, she got away. Cowboys here, they got to jump on me. Do you know where they went? Hell no, how could I? I've been staring at my damn eyelids for the last hour and a half. You can't let them get away. I didn't come all the way up here to play hide and seek. You have got to find her. Okay, I'll tell you what. I'll take a look around, but it's going to cost you, and I want another five up front. Fine. Just find her. Okay, well, when do I get the money? Tomorrow morning. Just come to my office. It's right behind the bar. Okay, what time? 9.30. I'll be there. So, so that that is like, do you know what I mean? Like, you can see from his side that he's like, I've just come here to do the job that I, that I was paid to do. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, and he's like, I don't, I don't want to fucking play cat and mouse with these people. I just want to, like, I, I, he's almost in a way, in some regards, in over his head. In some, do you know what I mean? He's just another person who's caught up in the wrong situation. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> all four of them together. Uh, they, I mean, they're all playing. They're all playing these. They're all playing these very different, well-drawn characters that all complement each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and but again, it's sort of like uh, this is before Speed and it's before Waterworld. It was sort of um, it was before like Dennis Hopper was kind of like not just like rediscovered, but then sort of like pigeonholed mm-hmm. you know he went he went he went his whole career until the mid 90s and then he was sort of like oh you'll be the bad guy um and super mario brothers as well <laughs> maybe that's the film that did it um but this is kind of like uh i i rewatched texas chainsaw massacre 2 recently as well which is um got a really good dennis hopper performance but that's one where he is actually fucking crazy in it <laughs> um, it's just, just Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper in this film is 
just just walks that really great line of being incredibly entertaining but also absolutely lethal mm-hmm. and and there there are so many scenes um where it's just like the flick of an eye where you, you you kind of like see past the veneer into like this you know dark-hearted killer and then uh, and then it flips back again and he's such sort of like an enjoyable presence on screen um he's brilliant in it like they're all brilliant in it yeah they're all brilliant in it this film is brilliant <laughs> I, I i don't think anyone but dennis hopper could deliver this line without some kind of fucking with, with the the menace that he does mm. It's turkey, one of my favorites. There's <laughs> that, like, just talking about a turkey sandwich. I don't know, and like, there are some great moments as well. There's that moment in the car when, like, he flips on uh, Nicolas Cage's character and like says, "Ah, oh, I know who you are. Like, you think you're better than me. I know a guy like you before." And like, do you know what I mean? It's like, I think it's when he's like trying to get him to like drink, drink booze, and he's kind of got that. Pl- I think. They're all in the car, right? And it's 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 uh, it's revealed. That's what I mean. This film goes twist upon twist upon twist. So not only do we get the kind of mistaken identity, we get the I'm going to do a hit on the wife. No, now I'm going to do a hit on the husband. I'm going to get out of town. I've run over the guy. I get picked up. I I, I get picked up by the sheriff. I I, I escape. <laughs> I get I get caught by the guy who is the assassin who was originally hired. Now it transpires that I'm in a, like I've kind of got, got into some kind of weird relationship with the wife. And now we've got a head back because there's like a million dollars in a safe. And then we get that twist that they are like ex-con well they're like cons on the run right jt walsh and lara flynn boyle and it's like at that point you're almost like exhausted from the amount of twists Mm. (laughs) i'm not sure how you felt about it. it's like but uh, it it just really like i don't know in other films i feel like it would be like it's like like you roll your eyes at it but in this it's like I'm, i'm 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 on board i fucking love all of this i think it's uh yeah i think it's um it's there are so many twists that you can't say, "Hey, how about that twist?" It's like, like which one? The whole film is is just twist upon twist upon twist. I guess it's a little bit like, and it's nothing like, it's nothing like the movie Wild Things, but the movie Wild Things has so many twists in it that it's sort of like. But then Wild Things is a is a piece of trash that is <laughs> like. An, it's it's entertaining trash, whereas this is kind of like a legitimate, a legitimate film. Um, yeah. Well, it, it, Go on, you say something. It is a noir. It's not even like a neo noir. It is like it, it, it really does yeah. play with that noir, could... like story beats and kind of like just the deceptiveness and the kind of like it's, it's got all the archetypes of a noir, right? It's got the kind of like. You could... Absolutely. I mean, you could you could redress this, and uh, you could put Humphrey Bogart in it and film it in the thirties, and it could be like a, a 
a 30s, 40s black and white gangster movie. Uh, it could be a cowboy movie. It could be a 1980s John Carpenter movie. It could be, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, it's got these classic archetypes, but basically it's right bang in the middle between being kind of, because um, John Carpenter made like, like it's almost like they live only, uh, they live is John Carpenter's kind of like take on something, you know? It's like a modern Western. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could be equally a classic Western, a classic gangster film. Um, it's it's like, yeah, it's just this really, really well-made film that had Quentin Tarantino not come along and sort of tore up the rule book and inspired everyone else to follow suit, then, uh, then there may have been kind of like, a, I don't know, more films like this. Mm-hmm. Um, it just feels like it's just this really odd, rare film. And you, I just, I, I can't understand how obscure it is. <laughs> because cause it's it's one of the, I've seen thousands of films in my life. It's one of, and it's one of the films that stuck with me. Like I said, I must have seen it. Last time I saw it, it must have been 20 years ago on VHS. Um, and it stuck with me. Like when I was at uni, and it stuck with me all this time. Um, and it's got Nicolas Cage, Dennis Hopper, JT Walsh is an amazing character actor. It's got uh, Lara Flynn Boyle, who was kind of like at the peak of her kind of like fame. And even Nicolas Cage fans haven't heard of it. <laughs> um, it's just, I, it's just sort of like, it's just baffling. So what do you think about like uh yeah what are, what are the kind of scenes that stick out to you in this Nick like are there are there certain scenes that like you think oh yeah that's a, that's a nice slice of gold It's just a really it's the whole thing has got a really satisfying burn to it like it's I think the opening shots over the credits have been working out on the on the road and going into the uh gas station at the beginning they're all great uh, the beginning scene where he's in the bar with JT Walsh uh, and he takes the job. That's great. Uh, the bit when, um, who's the who's the truck driver who... <laughs> That's Dwight Yoakam. Whose truck is... Is it Dwight Yoakam? I thought yeah. it was Dwight Yoakam. Um, he, he's, he's, he was good looking, wasn't he? He was quite good looking in this film. <laughs> um, uh, so there's the bit with Dwight. I like the fact that uh, the bit in the hospital's great. Um, I like the bit in the gas station when he's got the money. Um, I like the fact that you you keep seeing you are entering Red Rock West and you are leaving Red Rock West. I love that. I like the fact that uh, you've got this uh, this uh, uh, gangster cowboy movie uh, that all finishes in a graveyard. Um, it's yeah, I think, uh, and even when they're kind of like getting get, getting away at the end, there's still more twists, there's still more, and then it ends. And I feel like the film is, um, it's, it doesn't, I mean, and I say it, I, I, I say this as like a compliment, like it's, it's 90 minutes. It doesn't outstay its welcome. Mm-hmm. It uses its time great. It drip feeds you kind of like suspense and the thrills and the information and 
and the twists and the turns, it drip feeds you at just the right level. And then just when you're thinking, um, you know, I think it's maybe a little bit anticlimactic, but while you're thinking this might be a bit anticlimactic, and then it ends. And then it's like, right, that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it is, but watching it again, I do sort of like, uh, I think that the, the, like I said, like I think the opening, the beginning, the first hour of an hour and a half film is so sort of like well done that the last, uh, the last act kind of like can't really beat it. When it comes to the reveal that obviously Lara Flynn Boyle was kind of the the mastermind in all of this to some degree that she was the one who killed the ranch hand and it's kind of like it's the reason almost that Nicolas Cage is in this mess, right? Because if, if, if she hadn't have shot the ranch hand, he would have been out of there. Were, were, you, were you surprised or were you kind of like, this is the natural conclusion for where this film was going to go? I mean, you don't see it coming, <laughs> but, but, um, but it doesn't stick with you. It's not like, oh my God, and then it was her all along. It feels like this is the, it's kind of like, it's just, a, it's like a, it's, it's like someone is telling you a really satisfying story mm-hmm. and every, uh, with every twist that emerges, you go, that is as it should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? It feels inevitable and yet it's still sort of surprising. So, yeah, we mentioned Laura Flynn Boyle. What, what, like, is this, is this a standout Laura Flynn Boyle performance for you, or is this kind of like it could, it could have been anyone in this role? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I always find it weird that she didn't have like, um, that she, that she didn't have like a much huger career, mm-hmm. you know? I, but I find everything about this film kind of like, I mean, in terms of Nicolas Cage, it's sort of like, um, it's not like it doesn't feel like a restrained performance. It feel like, um, whereas on a, a a restrained Nicolas Cage performance is something like Willy's Wonderland, where he is deliberately not doing the fun thing mm-hmm. because he's 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 doing a thing, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Or he's been instructed to do a thing. Whereas this guy. He's a quiet guy. He's a good guy. He in in other people's hands, it could be quite sort of like a, a boring generic character, or it could be someone that's being kind of like dragged along by the other characters into their world. But like as a character, he still manages to sort of like um, stand his own, and he does loads of interesting things with the performance. Yeah, I think I so. Think, I I think that that's what happened. Like where the character could get boring nicholas cage's performance kind of like every so often gives you a like a sharp shock of like no you should be watching me like when he delivers when he delivers this line to lara flynn boyle friend the ranch hand he's been shot uh, it's it's got that it's got that cage energy and i guess like people would clip that out and go yeah it's Nicolas Cage losing his shit but it, it's it's earned right he's kind of like he's a man who's yeah. at his wit's end He's not playing a corrupt cop and he's not playing a superhero on a plane that's killing criminals and he's not playing kind of a drug addict or an alcoholic or anything like that. He's literally playing 
the one good guy in town mm-hmm. and it could be incredibly kind of like generic and boring i think he's you know he could be replaced by i mean who else could do that sort of part around that time mm, i don't know maybe uh i don't know T- tim roth but i don't think his star had really risen at that point so i'm not sure if like I could see Tim Roth doing a film like this at some point. Like, or it could be sort of like an Emilio Estevez yeah. type role where where it's all like he's the good guy and it's kind of like but then but then I rewatched Young Guns and Young Guns 2 recently and Emilio Estevez is just incredible in those films. Um but it's kind of like this early 90s I don't know who would play that that part but like an early 90s generic guy in what is early 30s mid 30s um it could it could be kind of like a forgettable part but he he does really great stuff with it Lara Flynn Boyle she's um she's really great but it's kind of like I first was aware of her from Wayne's World and then this and then what else did she do other than Twin Peaks I I think like her career kind of like really like went off the boil running because I, I I remember there was a whole thing that she refused to be in Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me. She didn't reprise her role for that, which seemed like a which would have been like around the same time. So like, well, she's been acting. She was the main. She was the main bad guy in one of the Men in Black films. Mm-hmm. Um, I get her mixed up with is it Claire Forlani? Mm, I'm not I'd, I'd like so, no, maybe not Claire Forlani. Who's the one? That, so it, there was the Last Seduction as well, right? Yes. Which would a was she the, in the Last Seduction? No, she's not in the Last Seduction. Who's in the Last Seduction? Uh, you really, really tested Linda, how quick I can. Linda Cardin, Linda Fiorentino, who was in, who was in Men in Black as well, right? Who kind of is set up right, that, as the other agent right. with 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 Will Smith at the end. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get, I get her mixed up with, um, I get her mixed up with Claire. not that, is it? Claire Fellaini, doesn't she play Nicolas Cage's daughter in? Uh, no, she plays Sean Connery's daughter in The Rock. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but that's just because her name begins with an F. Linda Fiorentino, I get mixed up with Lara Flynn Boyle. Um, yeah, I'm not like saying that she hasn't had a great career. I'm just saying that everything about this film, I I just find it I just find it sort of like baffling that it's not it's not like um it's not like an acquired taste. It's kind of like it's just a wall to wall from beginning to end good film that anyone I think pretty much anyone can sit down and enjoy. Um and even if you don't like Nicolas Cage, like this is a great entry point for Nicolas Cage because he's not doing anything too wild, mm-hmm. but he's still Nicolas Cage. He's not sort of like holding himself back, but it's just it's a really rounded I mean it shows what he can do as an actor. Yeah. Right? Uh, he's a leading man. He um, he's not doing anything crazy with it, but he just brings so much kind of 
to the role that is only Nicolas Cage, but he's not a meme in it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, it, and again, it's kind of like, oh, Nick, uh, you've got Dennis Hopper as the bad guy. Well, you can kind of like imagine what that is. Well, you can't because the character is so sort of like, I mean, I was saying earlier that he he went from kind of like being friendly to menacing, but in actual fact, he's always menacing. It's just sort of like the friendliness kind of like uh, you're waiting for that to drop. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it only drops like a few times. Um, but it's not kind of like a stereotypical uh, Dennis Hopper is the bad guy kind of role. And in actual fact, when you look at all of those Dennis Hopper bad guy roles, he did vary it up quite a lot amongst those films. Um, and then J.T. Walsh is kind of like doing a classic J.T. Walsh performance. But that's kind of, that's what he became known as. And maybe this is sort of like one of uh, one of the examples where it's sort of like everything came into focus for him. Yeah. He's like, I'll do it like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. know. It's early 90s. It's early 90s. And it feels like everyone is either nailing it or going slightly against type. And uh, and it just uh, not just the story surprises you, but the performances are surprising as well. You know. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's it's, it's that thing as well that J T. Walsh like somehow manages to out sinister Dennis Hopper. Like, do you know what I mean a guy who yeah. like what uh, maybe seven years earlier was Frank in Blue Velvet, who kind right. of like has one yeah. of those like all time sinister performances, and J T. Walsh like. I don't there's there's something about his character and like the way he plays it. It's like he seems he 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 seems like more he seems more threatening. And I'm not sure whether who with Dennis Hopper it's the fact that he's in this like almost looks like a Johnny Cash tribute act in the way he's dressed, right? He's kind of like got this like somewhat flashy but cheap looking suit on and he's got like a ten gallon hat and like yeah, he he looks great and like he when he gets those moments to play sinister, they're really good. And like yeah, I got like a going through like clips for this, like most of them are Dennis Hopper because like his line delivery is amazing. It's uh, uh yeah, I'll, I'll just I'll just I'll just play a random one here. Did you know that these two were a couple of fucking crooks. Yeah. Now, Susie here says that Wayne was a bookkeeper in a steel mill in Illinois, and he figured out how to walk out of that plant with $2 million. And she says that there's half a million laying around somewhere, but that Wayner is the only one that knows where it is. Now, is that true? That's what she told me. Well, if that's the case, why don't we all just go pay Wayne her little visit and see if Susie's story checks out, okay? But he's in jail. Not for long, sweetie pie. <laughs> just like the delivery of like sweetie pie and stuff like that. There is like a real menace to him though. Like I, 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 that's one of the things I love about this film. I love, I love. Yeah, like you said, it's it's great. I don't like. If I'm hoping, if anything, this episode of this podcast is like a beacon call for people to to track this down and like watch it because it's fucking great. It's it's so hard to find. I can't understand it. I can't. I can't understand it. 
it's uh, I don't know if you'd have told me that this was kind of like um what Nicolas Cage was most well known for mm -hmm. I would kind of like just I'd, I'd believe you but it's kind of like it's it's easier to get a copy of Trapped in Paradise oh. than it is to get a copy of Red Rock West um yeah just but there's no there's nothing there's nothing going on other than just a really well told story mm -hmm. and uh, some really good it could almost be um you could almost kind of like do kind of like a stage version of it mm, yeah it's a bit like it's a bit like killer joe in a way um it's kind of Texas and uh, hot and there are bars and it's dusty. Um, well, it's not Texas, it's Wyoming. Um, but it's kind of like cowboys and uh, pickup trucks and, uh, you know, Budweiser. And it's kind of like, it's like Americana. <laughs> and I love everything about it. I love everything about it. I love the fact that he's going for work. Um, uh, 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 is, he, is he is he a mine? Isn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. So a real western. And it's and it's like I just the landscape is brilliant. The cinematography is brilliant. It's sort of like all of this stuff that's just stuck with me. Mm -hmm. And I've just because I've kind of like just assumed that everyone must be aware that the film is great. I've sort of accepted the fact that it's not talked about that much. Um, and it was only like I don't know who decided who, who suggested it. Was it you or me? I, I, I think you, I think you kind of did a short list, and I went, "Oh, let's talk about Red Rock West," because any excuse to talk about that film, I, I would jump at it. And I don't really—it's that thing. I don't get to talk to many people about it. Like it's only like the kind of the real Nick Cage completists who are kind of like, do you know what I mean? Like will reply to when I mention it on Twitter or whatever, they'll go, ah, oh, I love that film. And like, kind of, it's, yeah, I, I, I can't stress enough how much of a shame it is that it's it's not more readily available. It kind of, I don't know. The, the campaign starts here right now, Nick. We, 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 need, we, need, we need to get out there. You've got a bigger platform than me. We need to, we need to, I don't know, shake some trees. We need to, we need to uh, rustle down some people and say, Get this film fucking out there, guys, because it's yeah, it's it's solid. There it's... should be a, there should be at least a, like a Blu-ray of it available, yeah. you know. Um, and the thing is, like when you look at something like Con Air or The Rock, um, it's kind of like you've got Nicolas Cage reacting to uh, a plane exploding, and he's uh, jumping through the window of a, a diner while it explodes in a fireball and it's kind of like a Nicolas Cage and you get like loads of really cool Nicolas Cage things where he's reacting to, to, to stuff you know or you've got Nicolas Cage as like a drug addicted uh, corrupt police officer in uh, a bad, bad lieutenant and you know this is kind of like you, this is a film where all of the fireworks are between the characters. You mm -hmm. know, it's one character interacting with another character, and you've got all of like these um, 
mannerisms and everyone knows something that the other person doesn't know and it's the way that all of the actors are sort of like conveying that it's just such an end it's just like you said if you if you if you like breaking bad or you like um the way that uh, modern tv sort of unfolds mm-hmm. it's kind of it's but this is an hour and a half it kind of it's this just this really economic enjoyable oh god i'm just repeating myself over and over again really <laughs> i can't believe i just can't believe that no one's ever heard of it really so before, before it feels we... like it should have been the biggest film of the 90s <laughs> well we, we will we will we will do our best to, to rewrite that and kind of get it out there to people but before we get to like the final questions on this nick i just want is, is there anything we've kind of missed about this film i know you said that like there are aspects of the third act that don't quite work for you. Do, you. do you want to expand on that? Or is there anything else you wanted to kind of mention? I just think that, I think, I, I just think that it's so enjoyable mm-hmm. that when things are clearly wrapping up, it's kind of like, how's it going to wrap up? It's going to wrap up with a gun, yeah. right? There's going to be some sort of, someone's going to get shot. It's going to be kind of like, there's going to be some level of anticlimax to it. And what's the most enjoyable is watching Nicolas Cage sort of like squirm for like an hour, trying to get out of, trying to wriggle out of all of these, um, uh, all of these uh, corners that he's painting himself into. And, uh, it's just, and that's what's great about it. And it's just when you know that that ride is coming to an end, you can't help but be a little bit disappointed. But I don't think the ending is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in actual fact, it's a suitable ending for this film. I yeah. wouldn't. I wouldn't know where to change it. I wouldn't change it. I'm just saying that. Um, that I, there's very. I don't know. There's there's few films that kind of like nail all three acts, <laughs> and uh, and this one kind of like it's not anticlimactic. It's got a satisfying ending, but what it does is it makes you want to watch it again. I suppose definitely yeah and there's one thing i wouldn't get rid of and that is dennis hopper doing an underarm throw of a knife into jt waltz's throat which is just like an absolute fucking baller move just to kind of like quick like an under underarm just like like a little that's that's the that that, that, that's the perfect audio yeah i'm trying trying to think i don't know how you would how you would hold the backhand when you're doing a pull cue right it's kind of like that motion like as if you if if you slided a snooker cue up, he just kind of lets it go straight into JT Walsh's throat, and then like even even the way he's about, he's about he's about fifteen feet away though. Yeah, he's on the other side. Great. Of the it's car. great that, that that could only happen in the the eighties or nineties, that that kind of thing. And then the the bayonet as well. I love how like moments earlier from Dennis Hopper getting impaled on that bayonet. It's like it's really foregrounded in a shot, and it's like oh that bayonet's going to going to come to pass and it it doesn't it doesn't like do it in a thing of the opening shot of the the graveyard is that bayonet it is literally within like 10 seconds of Dennis Hopper getting impaled on it and i love the fact that like even after that he's still crawling towards them right he's still kind of like coming after them after that and then the, the the fact that the the graveyard is right next to the train track and you kind of it kind of comes full circle right you've got this drifter kind of going to his kind of 
spiritual home of being on that train, that kind of like archetypal yeah. image you have of a drifter yeah. kind of jumping on the freight train to the next town. And then it's like, it's like just when you think, because it's got all of that, you know, it's got a tick list of all the things that you expect to see in that sort of film. Just when you think they may have left the train out, he jumps on the fucking train, doesn't he? <laughs> um, maybe, it's, maybe it's the fact that they arrest um, people at the end mm-hmm. and not everyone gets killed and comes to a sticky end uh, that makes it a bit anticlimactic, where you go, oh, well, um, you know, they're... Some of these characters are going to have adventures on another day, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess that maybe it, that's what makes it kind of like a little, a little less, um, um, a little, a little bit anticlimactic. But I don't know. I yeah. love it. <laughs> Amazing. So, uh, yeah, as I do with all these podcasts, I always ask three questions at the end. The first one being, does Nicolas Cage have bad hair in this film, Nick? He's got Nicolas Cage's hair, <laughs> and it's it's um it's uh it's a haircut which is uniquely Nicolas Cage's. Um, he just yeah, he looks like he's got quite uncomfortable hair in general, doesn't he? Yeah, he's trying to escape like, his face. Like, like it's got it. Like, I think it's almost like he's got frizzy hair that's been straightened, <laughs> and I think. I think maybe you know, like the you know the the, the texture of his hair in um, what's the one where he plays uh, twins that are writers? Uh, adaptation. You know his hair in adaptation. I feel like that is Nicolas Cage's hair, and that whenever he does anything else, it's sort of straightened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I feel I feel that it doesn't have bad hair. This is like this is no bells and whistles. Nicolas Cage, at the height of his powers, before he got ruined by big blockbuster uh, <laughs> Hollywood movies, and uh, after he was coming off of more characters, character-driven stuff and quirky things from the 80s, at the beginning of the 90s, he had this little window, and this is kind of like the peak Nicolas Cage performance that all other performances should be kind of uh, should be uh, rated on, you know, graded on. Yeah. It's kind of like this is him playing uh, the the you know the hero, the lead, without any bells and whistles to it, um, and his hair suits that role. <laughs> That's a perfect answer. And uh, this is the time to talk about the accent Nick 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 is doing in this film and. Does he do a crazy voice? Obviously, we've talked about some of his films, like whoever losing his shit, and I know Vampire's Kiss is a voice people talk about, but what do you think of Nick Cage's Texan accent in this? And is it crazy or is it kind of well suited for the film? It doesn't stand out at all. It's it's like um when I heard back the clips, um it's obviously a lot higher than he does for it's not a million miles away from Con Air, except for the fact that that is the really deep voice that he uses in Con yeah. Air. This, this is a lot more like natural, um, but it's not a million miles away from Con Air, but it's just the right amount of miles away from it to just be completely naturalistic. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And this somewhat, I'd, I'd be interested to know if it, this was one of the films that kind of like 
casting agents and directors might have seen that got him cast in stuff like The Rock and Con Air? Do you know what I mean? Because it kind of... I have, I, it's like, like part it. of his sort of like campaign where he would have done like a few films in a row to sort of like go, and I can be like a leading man. But I'm surprised that... I'm surprised that there isn't like a big wedge of time that were all performances like this. You know, he's even, he's even, he's so over the top in The Rock, you know, even though he's kind of like the straight guy, he's like the, you, you know, your main character is the entry point for the audience. And then you've got uh, Sean Connery and Ed Harris doing bigger things around him. It, you know, he matches them on energy in The Rock. And with this, it's kind of like, this is, I'm surprised that there weren't like, you know, when people say like, oh, it's Nicolas Cage losing his shit. You'd have thought that that would have been kind of like an anomaly for films where he was playing this regular leading man and then he'd lose his shit in the thing and people enjoyed that. And then it became, um, uh, well, let's see him lose his shit a little bit more in this film, a little bit yeah. more in this film, until it was entire films of him losing his shit in them. But, but really, it's kind of like, uh, this is just such a well-judged, nuanced, well-balanced performance. It's a, it's a brilliant performance. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it drip feeds information to you through the performance that, uh, of, you know, he's illustrating the script to you. You know, he's like really selling what's happening in the film and he's really selling the stakes that his character is going through. It's such a... Um, I would have just assumed that there was like 15 years of Nicolas Cage acting like that, and then he got old and went, I'm going to go mental. But he didn't. It, was like, it seems like there's like one film. Like, isn't this... What, what was around this film? There was Kiss of Death that was around this time? Yeah, so there would have been... The same year as this would have been Deadfall, which is a kind of like fucking crazy Nick Cage film where he plays uh, this kind of cocaine-addled bad guy. Uh, like I'm not sure that that I think that is heavily clipped in Nicolas Cage's loses his shit like that's in that sizzle reel. Um, well, talking about Nicolas Cage losing his shit, does he freak out in this film, Nick? Yes, but <laughs> but but in um, it, it totally justified moments, um, and it doesn't go, go on like huge rants, and they're not like show stopping moments. They're kind of like. Like he's an avatar for the audience where he's got himself involved in some terrible shit and he is learning all of this terrible stuff as the audience are learning it, you know? And so so he'll be in a room and Dennis Hopper and JT Walsh will uh, uh, back him into a corner and he'll learn something else and we all hold our breath until Nicolas Cage leaves the room, goes into the bathroom and then he goes, what the fuck's going on? And 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 he's sort of like voicing it for us. Do you know what I mean? He's yeah. like our avatar. Um, yeah, he does lose his shit. He does it really well in this. Well, I'll play a clip of him losing his shit. Fuck Mexico! <laughs> and another one for people at home. Uh, it's him saying horseshit. What do you say we put a cap on the horseshit and figure a way out of this? Okay. But they're, as you said, they're earned, right? They're earned... Losing of shits. Yeah. And then if, if, if you look at that line, what's the line? It was... What, fuck Mexico or let's cut the horse shit? 
Yeah, let's what's let's cut the horse shit and what? Uh, let's play, play it. Again. Let's play it again. What do you say we put a cap on the horse shit and figure a way out of this? Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> what do you say we put a cap on the horse shit and figure a way out of this? Okay. You know you can you can do that line any number of ways. You know. What do you say we put a cap on this horse shit and figure our way out of this, okay? You know, you can, you can, there's any number of readings to do that. For him to put the emphasis on the word horse shit and to pause, to pause it as if that's the end of the sentence and then carry on like that, you know, it's, it's, that's what he does. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, he'll take, he'll take black and white words on paper and then he'll make them into these performances. And, and this is, they, they've cast Nicolas Cage in this movie to service the script Definitely. as opposed to we've got a substandard script and if we whack Nicolas Cage into it, he can save it. He's not saving the script. He's literally serving it the best way he can. And, it, yeah, and because of that, it's, it's, it's a brilliant film. It's a brilliant script. <laughs> really well directed. Cinematography. The score is great. Uh, all of the supporting actors are great, and you know, uh, Nicholas Cage is great. It's like every element of it is great. It's not like let's draft him in to save a piece of shit. It's like this is brilliant. Yeah, I, I, I love the fact as well that he did this film because Francis Ford Coppola was a massive fan of John Dahl's previous film, Kill Me Again, which I had intentions of watching but haven't got around to doing so yet. But like, that makes me really interested to check that film out. Like, I've not seen any of John Dahl's films after this. Uh, have you delved into the world of John Dahl at all, Nick? No, not really. He's always been one of them, because of this film, he's always been one of those directors uh, that I've wanted to sort of, you know, get into. But I guess, so he did The Last Seduction as well, didn't he? Mm-hmm. And there's just something about that film that's never really jumped off, jumped off the shelf at me, you know. And I've never kind of like, I've always thought, yeah, I should watch that because I really like Red Rock West. But I think that it's it's almost like Red Rock West has it's like a perfect storm of elements yeah. to it that that. You know, I love the setting. I love the way it looks. I love the way it sounds. I love, I love the cast. I love the structure of it. I just, I find it, it's just really entertaining. And I don't think that that's necessarily um, a John Dahl movie. I think it's, I think it's this film is special. Yeah, def definitely. And it, it kind of feels like that. I don't know like you're saying like lightning in a bottle thing where all the elements came together in like like i don't know uh could like could this cast ever be uh established again do you know what I mean brought together again could like yeah it, yeah 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 it, like cage will never be at that <laughs> stage of his career again like everything kind of lined up yeah. just right for it because it's because it, it was a dying art form at that point you know this is an adult movie. It's 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 a grown-up movie. There's swearing in it, but it's not Quentin Tarantino levels of swearing. There's violence in it, but it's not Quentin Tarantino levels of violence. And when Tarantino came along, everything, you know, 
and I, I'm not a prude. I don't have a problem with swearing. I don't have a problem with violence. I don't have a problem with anything like that in films. Um, but it kind of like Quentin Tarantino introduced like pop culture references, uh, hyper violence, and swearing into like a film noir setting, and that's what they became. And then um, Nicolas Cage went off to make films like, you know, The Rock and Con Air, which, yeah, they're 15s and 18 certificates, um, but they're kids' movies, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's, it's like The Rock is a movie that a 10-year-old should be able to enjoy, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, they're, they're not challenging movies. They're not... And when I say that they're grown up, I don't mean that they're grown up in terms of the content, but in terms of just the way that the characters interact with each other. These are grown-ups and they're complicated relationships in between all the characters that the actors are sort of explaining. You don't have that in the later movies um, that, that he ended up doing, you know, because they're sort of black and white. You've got the good guy and the bad guy. There's no real... Oh, well, The Rock, there are shades of grey, aren't there? But that's <laughs> sort of like an anomaly for that sort of genre. Um, and they're basically, they're, they're, they're kids' movies with huge explosions in them. And Red Rock West is like this really, it's, it's, it's almost like um, one, of the last, one of the last Westerns. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's, um, it's like this watershed, it's just before this watershed moment where cinema changed. And this is the sort of grown-up entertainment that we were, and now it's kind of like, Oh, great. There's loads of violence and swearing in this. You know, it's like everyone wanting like an R rated Wolverine movie um, and, and everyone wanting kind of like an 18 certificate Deadpool movie. And it's like, great, but they're not grown up films. They're kids' movies that have got swearing in them. Yeah, yeah, whereas, yeah. Whereas this is sort of like this really kind of like sophisticated, you know, it, it, set in a city put Bumper Bogart in it and make it black and white. And it's this real complicated kind of, you know, collection of characters that are all thrown together. And, um, yeah, and it's, I'm not going to say it's a shame that cinema changed. I think Quentin Tarantino brought loads of great stuff. And I love all of those um, 90s action movies that Nicolas Cage made. But this is kind of like... This is sort of like a window into what films were like for a very brief period of time. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I think, I think with the death of the kind of I don't know cinema for adults, as it were, like this will never you'll ne- like not you'll never see a Red Rock West again. But it feels it feels like it's times past somewhat. Do you know what I mean? Like this this is the type of thing now that would be. Uh, a TV series. Do you know what I mean? This like Red Rock West yeah. would be like a six-part mini-series, HBO or kind of Showtime or something like that. This isn't th- this type of story. I don't think is ever going to get told in ninety minutes ever again. And then, and and if it is, it will be kind of like you know um, a standout thing. It'll be wow. They don't make movies like this anymore. Yeah, you know. Um, I guess, I guess, you know, there's stuff like Copland that was made a few years later, 
but but you know having a genre film like this that isn't directed by you know Martin Scorsese or um or uh Brian De Palma or um it's kind of like this I guess dragged across concrete is it's kind of that sort of thing where you have, but again, that's so pulpy. This is a, this is a sort of a pulp film, but it's before people were sort of hyper aware of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah. Pulp, you know when pulp fiction came out, there were kind of explanations of what pulp fiction means, right? Yeah. And you know, like a dictionary definition of the word pulp fiction, um, and and people didn't weren't aware of it. You know, it kind of became meta and it became ironic. Um, and this is before all of that. This is before people were kind of like going, like before the layman was all over genres and knew what was going on. You know, this was kind of like, nah, this is inspired by kind of like Hitchcock and uh, and Humphrey Bogart movies and, and and westerns and all that stuff. But it's not kind of like being knowing. Um, it's right. not knowing. Yeah, 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 and it's not knowing. <laughs> well that's the thing yeah I, I i think kind of uh, as we close off like if this was made today there would be a lot of winking to the audience do you know what i mean like this is like this is the western bit this is the this is the really bit that's like drawing on noirs and stuff like that this as we've said throughout the conversation could just be transposed to that noir setting and be a noir like it, it, it fits that mold so well, and it takes the—I don't—it has no knowing winks to the audience that it like takes its material seriously and does it, does it, per, does it, yeah, does it perfectly well to kind of really, I don't know, oh, fucking someone released this film. It's it's fantastic. It, I mean, with, with twists aside, it's a really straightforward little yeah. film. It's, yeah, and yeah, that's what's great about it. the writing on it. It's fantastic. It's just, it's, it's like what film should be. It's telling a really good story and it's using these actors to the best of their, uh, to the best of their uses, not even the best of their abilities. So like, they're like perfectly placed and it's just a really satisfying story. And I think you're bang on when you say uh, Breaking Bad. It's kind of like, it's nothing like Breaking Bad. It's, you know... But it's it shares sort of like a similar tone to that, mm-hmm. and that every ten minutes you're going, oh fuck, oh no, oh what's he gonna do now? Yeah, and it's kind of like it's and it's just sort of like if a movie is meant to be an hour and a half having a story told to you in a dark room, then this just absolutely delivers on that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah it has that feeling of like I don't, it feels like the type of story someone would tell you in a bar, right? Like uh, you could imagine, like going to a a, a Red Rock West style town, somewhere like, after a couple of drinks. Like, let me tell you about this crazy story I heard from a friend of a friend, and like this is the kind of yarn they would spin. Well, that's the thing. Like pre pre Tarantino, you have Red Rock West, and post Tarantino, you have Desperado, mm-hmm. yeah. where it's kind of like a similar thing. Man walks into a bar, but it's like. It's all knowing, it's all wink-wink at the audience, it's all sort of like a spectacle. Um, and I love Desperado. I think it's brilliant. One of, it was one of my favourite films growing up. And um, 
but like Red Rock West is sort of like it's like reading a good book, <laughs> only better than that because it's a film. <laughs> well, that feels like a perfect place to end the conversation, Nick. Um, if anyone would like to keep up to date with what you're doing, whether it's like uh, is is there a tour for 2022, or or, or what's the, what's the what's the plan for comedy uh, coming up? Uh, yeah, there will be a tour in 2022. Um, I'm just uh, working out what I'm going to spend the year doing. Amazing. So, um, yeah, I'm fucking hell. I thought 2021 was a real shit of a year, mm-hmm. and I can't wait. Oh, because we're coming to the end of it. Can't wait for Christmas, and then 2022. There's going to be tours. There's going to be shows. There's going to be um, albums. I'm doing. <laughs> um, yeah. All systems go. Amazing. Where can people keep up to date with all of that, like uh, news on where that's coming? Uh, if you're evil, you can follow me on Twitter. And if you're a decent human being, you can follow me on Instagram. Perfect. Perfect. I'll make sure I uh, put the handles in the show notes so people can find you there, Nick. Thank you so much for coming and raging with Cage with me. Uh, brilliant. It's, what a film. And there we have it, guys. What better way to celebrate Nicholas Kim Coppola's birthday than talking about a fantastic film with a fantastic guest. If you've seen Red Rock West, even though we have just sport it for you, if you've seen it, please do get in touch. I, I kind of want to know if there's more than five people in the world who have seen it. Oh, I know that um, uh, <laughs> Andrew Pope, who joined me for the pig episode, definitely it's his favorite Nicolas Cage film and uh I don't know it really it really sits in the back of my mind it might be it might be my favorite I don't know something about it I think just there's like a film and all all pieces fitting together perfectly it's it's absolutely great so yeah if you have seen it please do get in touch on all the socials so that is Instagram Twitter Facebook and letterbox at caged in pod let me know and uh, if you if you enjoyed this episode, yeah, let, let, let us know if you want to. If there's anything that me and Nick said or didn't say that you feel is egregious, um, let me know. Don't 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 bother Nick. I'm sure he gets enough uh, flack online, <laughs> as do all of my guests. Any hate, direct it straight to me. Never at the guests, just straight to me. Or if you if you if you want to if you want to really slag me off and stick the boot in you can drop me an email, which is cagedinpod at gmail.com. As for next week on the podcast, I will be joined by Daryl Edge, my um, northern counterpart, the the yin to my yang, the, um, I don't know, the, the gravy to my chips, to use a, a northern stereotype there. Um a fellow cage scholar where we're going to be looking about uh, another 1993 nick cage classic uh deadfall it's a real family affair as well directed by christopher coppola it has cameos from talia shire and mark coppola so please do come back for that one because it's going to be a bloody treat i tell you as well as that film we're going to be having a little little chat beforehand um kind of the the preamble of, of of the chat of that episode all about nicholas cage's career in 
2001 and kind of what are the points that as to Nicolas Cage fanatics, what we're looking forward to in 2022 and what is the state of his uh, career at this point? Do you know what I mean? What does the big like conversation around everything that happened with Pig and everyone going like, it's a career best performance. Where does that project Cage in the future? If you, Obviously, if you have uh, points to, to make on that or you want to join in the discussion, again, head on over to the socials. Uh, if, if you need that handle again, it's at Pod. It's that bloody simple, guys. So, yeah, I very much look forward to having uh, you listen to that conversation between me and Daryl. It's, it's a bloody fun one. So, if you enjoyed this episode or any episode of the podcast, please remember to rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Acast, or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. Or if you want to support it a bit more with a little bit of moolah or a bit of uh, cash money, head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash caged in pod. We can buy me a nice digital cup of coffee or you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash caged in pod where you can give me a little monthly slice of £2.50 or $3 a month and you can get access to the all new Movie Brat Bros podcast series where I will be looking at the films of Brian De Palma uh, for season one and seeing how each year in his career and each film kind of matches up to a Francis Ford Coppola film from that time. So kind of, it's all a big circle jerk of these podcasts. You've got Nicolas Cage in one strand, you've got the Coppola family in another, and then you've got the movie Brats on another strand. So yeah, head on over to Patreon, join into that, join in the fun. Got some fantastic guests on that already and some, some fantastic guests lined up in the future. So as always, guys, I have been Petros Pat Syllabus. I've been caged in. You've been amazing. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Copa Connections, A Droop Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.